Hey folks, welcome to the Smoking Tire Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Crowd Health. Listen up. I know from personal experience that the American healthcare system sucks. Health insurance in this country is terrible. More than half of Americans are on a high deductible health insurance plan. On the hook for thousands of dollars of deductibles, co-pays, and sky-high premiums. Basically, they need health insurance, but just for the worst case scenarios. You know, the you're paralyzed in a car accident kind of thing. Not like actual day-to-day health care, and that's what you want. It's like being stuck with an outdated cable TV plan and not knowing about Netflix. Now, we are introducing Crowd Health. It isn't health care. It's a better way to pay medical expenses. Crowd Health is a community of people who are tired of paying for a broken system. It's a place where you can get a simple, flexible, and affordable way to pay for your health care. Being in the crowd health community can save hundreds of dollars monthly and put thousands of dollars back in your pocket. It's flexible. Membership is a monthly subscription. You can start or stop when it's convenient for you. There's simple and transparent pricing, customized to fit your needs. They lower your monthly health care costs, and you can see any doctor you want. Using the app, you can find nearly any doctor in the country ranked from one star to five star. You can scan bills and then throw them away. CrowdHealth takes it all from there, and you can press one button to receive virtual care anytime, anywhere through your smartphone. There's a community of health-conscious members who want to get and stay healthy in return for lower prices. So CrowdHealth gets rid of the insurance middleman and passes the savings along to its members. 100% of your monthly membership pays for actual health care costs, helping the whole CrowdHealth community stay healthy while keeping more money in your pocket. CrowdHealth is able to offer amazing prices because of its community of health-conscious members. But for a limited time, my listeners will get their first month free, and after you've been a member, CrowdHealth will include a fitness wearable. That's 30 days to try risk-free plus the fitness wearable. Just go to crowd, go to joincrowdhealth.com slash fit and enter code tire at sign up. That's joincrowdhealth.com slash fit and use promo code Higher. Crowd Health is not health insurance. It's a community-powered alternative. Terms and conditions may apply. Join CrowdHealth.com slash fit. We are also brought to you by DraftKings. Listen, racing fans, DraftKings Sportsbook has a formula racing no-brainer that's bound to put you in victory lane. New customers can bet just $1 on this Sunday's Grand Prix in Austin, Texas, and win $100 in free bets if any driver finishes a lap. When was the last time you saw where all 20 drivers didn't loop the track at least once? It happens, but it's rare. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, you can get in on the action with DraftKings free-to-play pools. All customers get a free shot at $5,000 in total prizes. Just answer a handful of questions about what you think will happen during the race and follow along to track your results. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TIRE and bet just one $1 on this Sunday's Formula One Grand Prix. 
and win $100 in free bets if any driver finishes a lap. That's promo code TIRE for this no-brainer at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customers, only min, min, minimum $5 deposit for free bet promotion. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. You have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You got all that? Good. How about Babbel? Global global economy, folks. When you're traveling to a destination and you don't know the language, it can be challenging to accomplish even the simplest of tasks. I have um, I have really been there. I've tried to like sign language my way through places. I've tried the old just speak English slower. That's not a good method. That method doesn't work very well at all. I've tried getting drunk. That actually does work a little bit. You can pick up some booze-related conversation. At least you think you can, and then the next morning you're like, I don't know what I was even saying to that guy. Thankfully, there's Babbel, the number one selling language learning app. Through Babbel's bite-sized lessons, you can learn new language skills that you can actually use in the real world. From greetings, menus, and directions to gaining a deeper understanding of the culture, Babbel is a travel essential I've always wanted to learn French so I can order the finest foods and wines. Never, I've never seen to find the time. But thanks to Babbel's easy and fast-to-use lessons, I am able to accomplish this goal, and I'll be drinking Bordeaux in no time. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Other language uh, learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and your accent. There's so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes in the language of your choice. Start your language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to babbel.com and use promo code TIRE. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com, code TIRE. B-A-B-B-E-L dot com, code TIRE. Babbel, language for life. Lastly, oh, this is an important one, folks. It's the Blackview DR750X two-channel LTE. That's a lot of letters. It's almost a BMW crossover. That's how many letters it is there. Have you ever worried about your car when you leave it for valet parking, when you bring it to service, to a dealer? How about parked on the street? That's why you need the Blackview dash cam. This thing is awesome. It's a slick-looking unit giving you peace of mind that your car, day or night, is always protected. The dual-channel Blackview dash cam comes with both front and rear cameras. You can enjoy clear image quality day and night thanks to the full HD Sony Starvis image sensors at a wide 139-degree view angle. Blackview's newest LTE dash cam is really what you need if you're considering a cloud-connected dash cam. The newest addition of the Blackview lineup is connected by design with a built-in nano SIM card reader. The dash cam comes free with the Blackview app, which allows you to connect to your dash cam directly or over the cloud, get impact notifications, download videos to your mobile device, watch live view, and more. 
But that's not all. Blackview's new mobile hotspot function lets you turn your LTE dash cam into a Wi-Fi hotspot for up to five devices on the go. That's cool. I love that. Dual purpose, right? It's protecting your car, protecting you from what's going inside, going on inside your car. If you got that kind of craziness, or if you've got kids, if you've got friends, if you've got a film crew, you got to cruise around with. It turns the dash cam into a Wi-Fi hotspot for up to five devices. You can pair your cloud-connected dash cam with parking mode accessory for peace of mind when you're away from the car, and Blackview automatically switches the parking mode to monitor your parked vehicle. Thanks to the video buffer, the few seconds leading to a triggering event is also recorded. When paired with Blackview Cloud, parking mode lets your dash cam save event videos to the cloud in real time, just as they happen. So go to blackview.com, that's B-L-A-C-K-V-U-E, blackview.com slash T-S-T, and use promo code TIRE to get 10% off any Blackview dash cam, plus free shipping for orders over $200. And if you're buying a dash cam, pretty much all order is over $200. So free shipping, blackviewvue.com slash TST, and use promo code TIRE to get 10% off any Blackview dash cam. Free shipping on orders over $200. That is the ads. Those are the ads. All right, folks, on today's episode of the show, Zach and I are in the studio. We have spent a rainy morning driving the Aston Martin V8 Vantage F1 edition. I spent uh, the weekend learning what it's like to be Tom Segura in Seattle as I joined him on tour, uh, checking out his shows and spending some recreational time with the man, along with, of course, my beautiful wife. And uh, we answer your questions. There are lots of them. And I have just received both the Mach-E GT, which I'm very excited for, and the Harley Livewire motorcycle. It is a glut of press cars this week on the Smoking Tire Podcast. There it is. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Um, hope y'all hope y'all are chilling out there. Zach and I had an early morning. Mm-hmm. It was cold. It was raining. Yeah. It's not something we're used to. I was not prepared. <laughs> you were not prepared. I was not prepared. Because, like, I just didn't look up. There isn't really a good way to look up the weather on the canyon, in the canyon. Uh, like, you can look up the Mount Wilson Observatory, yeah. but that's, that's like, a little too high up. Right. And too cold. And then there's, like, the bottom of the hill, which is not the same as, like, where we shoot. We're in the middle. Yeah. So it was like, oh, it's 60. But then when we got up there, it was really, like, 47 and raining. And I did not have an appropriate jacket. No, you just stood there and said, I did not prepare. Like yes. You said it multiple times. I did not prepare. <laughs> I did not prepare at all. It was it was not good. It was not a good thing. But uh, Very fitting, though, for a British car. Uh, British car. British weather. Right. It was. Uh, we had the Aston uh, V8 Vantage F1 edition, which makes me ugh, a little bit to say F1 edition, because I'm like just kind of... When something is called, when you use the word addition, you know what I mean? Like, it just, something about it makes me go, Ugh. Is that because you know it's a marketing thing? Yeah. Regardless of what company does 100%. It, right? Yeah, not not specifically for Aston. Yeah. It's even worse when someone has a custom car built, like a one-off, and like there's, like there's this rich guy down in Orange County named Manny, mm-hmm. who's just like a fucking rich guy. And buys all these Bugattis and Paganis and shit, like rich guys do. Um, 
And, you know, because it's not enough to be a rich guy, he also then wants to be a content creator because the ego needs feeding. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's, like, obsessed with Hermes. And so he had Hermes do, like, the interior of his McLaren Speedtail. Wow. Which is something that rich people could do. Right. My Aston Martin, which came from Ralph Lauren, has purple label leather in it. But because Ralph is a man of taste... He didn't go around going, it's the Ralph Lauren edition. It just has the fucking leather in it, and that's it. Then he goes about his business. But this dude down in Orange County, it's the Hermes edition, which it's not, because it's not like something you can buy. It's just like he did that because he has more money. Right. Uh, the edition. Well, I guess. It's it, not an edition. It's just like it's you just like, did it. Like Pagani would do that thing where you could get your. Like, there were certain cars they made that had initials on them. Yeah. Right? Because it was the person who had it yeah. built. Yeah. But, but that's not like the, the Dave Smith edition. Yeah. It's just like, and by the way, this rich guy, man, he can do whatever the fuck he wants with his money. I don't give a shit. I'm just saying how it makes me feel. It makes me feel cringy to see them do that. It also makes me feel incredibly cringy to see any, any person that's that rich that then decides they need to be a content creator. When the content is about them. Well, because you can't buy notoriety and attention. True. That's a good point. But, you know, so you've already reached a certain level of success. Yeah. High level of Rob success. Ferretti talks so, about this a lot, yeah. too. Yeah. Like, it's like if you're making videos to earn a living and the videos are about things that are outside of yourself, that's one thing. But, like, if you're already that rich and you decide to make videos about your richness... It's like, just stop. You've... Yeah. I mean, whatever chemical is that, you know, drove some people to become very wealthy, it, it's interesting when they overlap with, I also, they also want attention and validation right. from the yeah. outside world. Right. Um, and this is a way For to get it. For being wealthy. For being wealthy. Or just, they want more yeah. attention. Yeah. You know, they, they got, they earned a lot of money to fill a hole and now they're filling the hole with attention. And then after that, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, and then this is why Will Smith... In his in a recent interview, he said he went and did ayahuasca like twelve times at age fifty because he got super rich and uh -huh. super famous, and he was like, "That's not enough." Is this really what I want yeah. to be and do and all that stuff? And he uh, like, wanted, I'd like he to read to that interview. Yeah, did it, it was, work? It was in GQ. Huh. He did that, and he he traveled for a year by himself with no security. Hmm. Like that must have been interesting for a while. Yeah, I forgot. Like, trying yeah. to reconnect with the humans. Yeah, learn what it's like to be a human. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I, if you went to places that didn't have a ton of media that would probably be a lot easier like even because he's global famous yeah but a bit, like mongolia also like probably you know, a little pandemic bit where we were good get yourself a good mask that's true that helped that would help a lot very true it would yeah yeah um to go back to the car though just the use of addition makes me cringe that being said they did a lot of uh nice things to the car uh functional upgrades as it were uh, they refined the suspension a bit, so it's a little less bouncy. Mm -hmm. um, they gave it some more power, which you don't really notice, if I'm honest, but it does sound angry, and that's fun. It sounds very good. Yeah. Inside and outside. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it sound, it's a nice, nice quality-sounding automobile. They gave it some downforce, uh, which you won't notice at any speed, less, of a very, less than a very fast racetrack. Yeah. Um, and uh, what else do they do? Change, uh, revise the gearbox software. That's good. The gearbox software is pretty good. 
Um, they changed a steering bushing a little bit, and they added a damper actually against the transmission laterally, so it like keeps the transmission in place. Like the whole thing, they basically made it a little bit stiffer, yeah, but not too much. It definitely I, didn't feel like crashy around uh, the city streets and stuff like that. No, it, it was uh, it was okay. Yeah, yeah, considering it was stiffer, and the and our complaint with the standard car was that it was kind of bouncy and unrefined. Usually, if you take that and make it stiffer, you go, oh god, this is not going to be good. Right. But they managed to refine it a little bit as well, um, and uh, you know it's it's a nice car. It, it and the 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 way they've tweaked the styling a little bit, the different grill is not you know as offensive as that initial grill that they put out there, and um, it's got sort of a stripe package on it that I actually kind of like. Yeah, it's cool. Stripe package yeah. isn't bad. Because it's really thin, like mm-hmm. that thin center stripe with the matte white around it. It looks good. It's not bad. Um, but it's it's still chasing the AMG GTC for me uh, and the GTR, yeah. which I think, considering those two cars use the same engine, you know, they're, they're close enough to the same experience that I am very aware of how much I like one more than the other one. Um, but uh, I think it's getting there. It looks good in that one in the, what's that, car and driver? The car and driver one has a gray, a, a matte gray one with a lighter gray stripe on it. That looks very good. The white looks good too. Yeah, The white good is good. Yeah. But um, it's just for the same money, I think I'm still going with the AMG, you know? Or, or a 911, too. or a 911 GTS, honestly. 911 GTS is more refined, rides better, turns in the, you know, the same, um, doesn't need the, the big wing in the back, uh, which blocks your view. Yeah. I was impre- I'm impressed with how much stuff that thing holds in the trunk. The trunk's Plus, good. good it's trunk. kind of almost a hatch yeah. trunk. It is a hatch. And it's got well, like almost uh, a hatch. I guess it is a hatch. The, wind, isn't it? Wind, the window goes up. Yeah. It's a hatch. And it's got like two trunks. It's got that divider, and there's the, the upper shelf, level and the, the shelf lower trunk. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. The skybox, and there's the regular <laughs> right, seat. Right. But it actually holds. I mean, we had two big backpacks, the Pelican case, and then like my uh, Your dog hammock bed thing. thing. So basically, yeah. three backpacks. It's pretty. It's pretty spacious yeah. for what it is. Yeah, and it does have a lot of leg room. It's not for a, for a small car. It's good for tall people. Yeah. Um, you got plenty of leg room, plenty of head room, plenty of shoulder room. For it's it's tough to find a small car that's good for a tall person. It feels more spacious inside than the last GTR AMG GTR I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, that could just be. A packaging thing or like the way the uh dashboards built and designed yeah but it did feel really spacious it's more spacious than like a corvette the c8 yeah oh, c8 definitely. corvette definitely. c8 corvettes are a little on that's the like being in a side. kayak they're a little yeah. cramped especially with that little center wall yeah, yeah 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 um so it's you know practical enough um the the automatic gearbox has a very aggressive creep to it meaning if you just put it in drive and lift your foot off the brake it, it it's i don't want to I will use the word lurch. It do, it goes forward a lot, like immediately, immediately, yeah, yeah. And, and it and fast. Yeah. Like you know, it's uh, not as pronounced as a Hellcat, which has the most aggressive creep I've ever used in a car. Um, but it's it's that type of creep makes it feel less exotic than hmm. a dual clutch, than the way a dual clutch gearbox engages. You know, that's like when you drive a bunch of different cars. You notice those types of things, and it, and a, an automatic 
idle creep feels pedestrian. It's just ready to go. It's ready to go. It's the F1 edition. It's ready to get out there, drop that flag, hit the green light. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh, it moves forward at like three miles an hour instantly. It yeah. goes from zero to like, you know, stay on the brakes and you're fine. Well, no, obviously, but it just, to me, that's the difference between a lot of the more exotic cars where they'll either, they'll hold until you tap the gas or you can feel the gearbox engage to make it go a little bit. And that, and this doesn't do it. It's just, it's like, oh, it's an auto. I wonder if in the future they'll have a programmable creep the way they do with electric cars, like because the brakes are so are all electronically activated now, mm-hmm. so you could just hit a sw- toggle switch that's like, well, I, I want to stay still when I lift off the gas. Oh, they have that. Tap the gas. Cars have that. The hold mode. I, cars I, have that. Yeah, uh, gas cars or electric yeah. cars. Oh, yeah. I've I've been in cars with hill hold mode. No, no. There's like some act- like oh, I'm trying hold. to think what I drove recently where if you. If you come to a stop mm-hmm. and then press the brake pedal really hard, a little dash, a little light will come up and says hold. Oh, and it will hold the car oh, until cool. you tap the gas, and then it will release. Oh, smart. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, then it's happening. They have it. Yeah. All right. The, I fu- invented the future it is now. In the past. The future is indeed now. Um, but it's, it is it is a good uh, evolution of this car. It's, it's, they're, they're slowly working their way towards it being a very nice product. Yeah, I, the first one I drove in 2016, I remember it just being, you know, good GT car, but like it didn't feel as fast as the advertised power, and it was far too quiet. Even during the drive-bys, the guys filming it, they were like, "Are you?" Well, in, when it was like, launched, it, when it, it first launched, there was the not no sport exhaust. There's no sport exhaust. And then remember, I got one and was really, really hard on it in the review. Mm-hmm. And then they sent me another one. They were like, "No, no, no, that was not a good one. Here's another one." And the second one they sent me had the sport exhaust on it. And it was it was better. Mm-hmm. And then they sent me the Roadster, and that was even better. The Roadster was nice. That was nice, especially because like it had a lighter colored interior, which made it feel way less like a cave. Yeah. When the interior is like all black, it's like real cavey in there. And I think that's true of any car. You know, last week I drove all the seven one eights. Oh yeah. And driving the twenty fifth anniversary edition of Boxer with that awesome red interior, mm-hmm. it feels like it's a much more expensive car than it is. And then I immediately jumped into. The GTS 4.0, which was close in price, or like, or the Spider, that was the exact same price as the 25th, and uh-huh. everything's black. Yeah, and it just feels less expensive. Yeah, yeah. Black is like, I get why you'd want a black mm-hmm. interior, of but like, some color is good. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, there's a lack of emotion going on inside when it's just black, 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 black. Especially in like yeah. a luxury car, like peanut butter colored leather. That's good. T- yeah. Tan. Brown really makes an interior look expensive. Yeah. It's nice. And especially because this is like the sport, the more sporting version of the Vantage, but it doesn't quite feel like a track dedicated toy the way a GT3 yeah, RS no, does or even GT3 does or like the 620R because the seats are just GT seats. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, put a splash of color on the inside and it'd be. Remember when Aston Martin did the sneaker interior? That was the shit. Is that two tone? Right. It was the. It looked like a fucking Jordan. It was like oh, the, the sweatshirt. It, no, it was in the V12 Vantage S with the seven-speed manual from a couple of years ago, from like 2015 maybe. And it was like it had like sweatshirt material. It was awesome. It was uh, like we need some more photos. The lighter color. Where's the sneaker interior? If you type type like sneaker interior, I bet you fucking get it. It was it looked like a fucking like a shoe. Like this mm. one. 
No, it was like a lighter color. It was like the, uh, like the press car interior. Man. No, that's not it. Hmm. I don't know. Right. If you go back and look at uh, my video of the car, of the white, the white car, it had that interior. Oh, there. Well, there's the there's the screenshot from our video. It's that V12 Vantage S manual with the fucking. See if that. See if I got a shot of it. We'll get non. Uh, what do you call it? DMCA because it's ah video. There, that's it. This interior fucking ruled. See the see the sweatshirt material on the dash. It looked like a fucking sneaker, gray and orange. Oh, gray and orange. Is that all Alcantara yeah. mixed with like sweatshirt cotton, or yeah. is it just it looks like sweatshirt? I think there was like sweatshirt material in it, like oh, a cool. higher end sweatshirt. Because this thing, the, the car we had today, had a lot of Alcantara in it, but it was all it's most Alcantara is like the same gray. Yeah, yeah. So well, this is the previous generation cool. of the car, so the interior yeah. was totally different. And man, yes, now that course. I look at it, it looks like fucking classy. By comparison, I, I love the center stack in this generation of car. Yeah. I think it's. Like I, oh, I look think at that. that is great. so good, man. Did they fucking go downhill from that? Huh? They, they did with those big metal knobs. Oh, it's just that metal was knobs, great. and then these like flush buttons, which I heard some people said were hard to read, but who cares because it looks good. They looked awesome. And the new interior, the buttons are all like individually labeled in spring action, but they all—it's just a sea of buttons to me. They and all the, look the same. And all, all the indicators are the same color. It's yep. tough to differentiate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that interior fucking ruled. That's in a that good car. one. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Uh, so that video is coming out, and uh, the Boxster 25th anniversary that Zach just mentioned. Um, if you're not a Patreon member, by the time you've uh, by the time you've uh, heard this podcast, that video will be up, right? And I think tomorrow? it's going up Wednesday. Yeah, or tomorrow. Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So yes, by the time you hear this podcast, that yes. video will be up. That video, that car was great. Yeah, it was. Boxster 25th really mm. was so nice to drive, so easy to use. Fucking luxurious, comfortable, I think very that's fast. One of the best values at that <clears throat> price point for a hundred thousand bucks. Yeah, like those wheels were awesome. It's really good. It's a really good all-around car. Yeah, I, mean, I really enjoyed my week with that car. It like, was awesome. It was so good. I got it twice. Yeah, that's true. And then I went and drove it again. I got it. I got it. I had it for six days. I was going to film on the seventh day, and then it had a mechanical, and they took it, and because it was a German spec one. They just sent it back to Germany. We never saw it again. Don't know what happened. I don't even know what was wrong with it. Like, mm -hmm. they just were like, oh, yeah, well, we'll take it. And then it was gone. Just fucking vanished. And then we waited, I don't know, several months, three, four months, and they sent us the U.S. spec one, which Zach and I drove uh, down in um, Temecula. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike the DeLorean, world's fastest DeLorean video, we actually did find a good road to drive on. We spent a little more time looking because we had spare. We, it wasn't uh, dependent on a third party's time, you know. That DeLorean was so damn cool. I know that that was like three weeks ago, but holy shit. It, it was, was really, really fucking cool. cool. Yeah. Sounded amazing. So fast. That video's up. The world's fastest DeLorean twin turbo uh, Kia Stinger engine in the back and some really, really creative unshitboxing yeah. was done there. That fucking car ruled. It's on uh, Hoonigan This First That this week against the Halo Warthog. To watch our video first, and then <laughs> yeah. go watch that one. Yes, definitely watch our video first. Um, update on my brother-in-law, John. He's out of the hospital. He was released. You really? Like, okay, yeah, go ahead. he's out of the hospital. Sweet. He's in uh, officially in remission. No disease present. Um, a lot of folks went to uh, bethematch.com, 
which I was talking about, and I'll talk about it briefly again. Um, Brother-in-law John, who did all the acoustic paneling here in our studio, uh, I mean, that's like the least cool thing he's done in his life, but that's mm -hmm. that's how our fans might relate to him, is by making, he made all this shit. Um, has leukemia, had leukemia, and uh, Hannah, my wife, had to give him a stem cell transplant, and the way they do that is not by drilling your bones. Um, in order to test uh, your match, if you're a match with someone, it's just a cheek swab, very fucking quick, two seconds, cheek swab, and then the actual donation process is done purely with a blood draw. They give you some medication so that your body makes extra stem cells, and then they hook you up to an IV, and you give the blood. That is it. There's no drilling of the bones. And signing up is so easy that when you talked about it on the last show, I signed up for it while did we it, were on the yeah. show, and like it didn't even break our stride. Yeah, there's an age limit of 40 as we I, we just learned because a bunch of folks said they went to go try it out and they were over 40 and they couldn't do it so if you're between 18 and 40 if you go to be the match.com um, you can sign up to be a donor and it's to like if you ask me to be a donor for bone marrow using what I knew about bone marrow 10 months ago I'd have been like I'm not fucking you're not drilling my bones <laughs> fuck that no way that sounds awful but that's not what they do they don't drill your bones they don't do that anymore all you have to do, it's one needle. It's like as non-invasive as a medical procedure could be. Mm -hmm. It's um, the same thing that you do when you go and get like a physical and they do a blood draw for tests, it's right? It's the same yeah. shit. It's exactly the same. And so he is, he had a, a, a record stay in that hospital. He was the longest case, cancer patient ever in that hospital. Jeez. Like, except for like, you know, terminal hospice type things. Like he was in that hospital for like 87 days. Which is and he, when you have no immune system because they blasted your body with chemo and radiate like you can't go outside. He didn't go outside for like two and a half months. Like that shit would fucking gets to you. Yeah. Um. So he's out now, and he's he because he's got to be like close by. He's in like the like an apartment that's like a, a corporate apartment, kind of like a mile from the hospital. But he's like not in the hospital, and he's got uh, as of today uh, no no disease present. And a hundred percent of his bone marrow DNA is Hannah's. Whoa! Yeah, That's like amazing. Yeah, That's like amazing. he has Hannah's immune system. He has acquired her immune system. Isn't that wild? Science is incredible. Science is fucking it really crazy. is. Yeah, it's so That's crazy. Incredible. So, um, thank you to a lot. A lot of folks sent nice, uh, kind letters and and words, and a lot of people said that they went to bethematch.com and signed up for the registry. I did. Zach did. Every like a lot of people that I know did, and, and a lot more of you guys um, sent me the the screenshots saying that you had you had done it, and a, and a bunch more said that they tried and they were too old, and and that's okay. We we appreciate you even trying. So it's good news. Uh, I want to talk about uh, being Tom Segura for a weekend. What that's like? Because because uh, that's like the coolest trip ever. It was a pretty cool trip. <laughs> Tom is a really really solid human being. He just just is a solid human being. Um, and, you know, when he goes on these big tours, he's on the I'm Coming Everywhere tour. And he has dates fucking all over. He really is coming everywhere. And so he invited Hannah and I to come to Seattle, check out his gig, and hang out. And uh, that's what we did. We had some, uh, we went to the Paramount Theater uh, on uh, Friday night. We got into town. He was doing two shows. And so hung out in the green room before the show, 
drank some wine. Tom doesn't drink before the shows. Mm-hmm. He's fucking real, real precise about that. Other comics like to get a little loosey, not him. So I drank a bottle of red wine in the green room before the show, and then he, you know, we got tickets. Uh, so we went out into the to the to the audience, watched the show. Um, this dude Jeff Tate was opening. Funny, funny fucking guy. Follow him on Instagram, G E O F F. Was he a Seattle local or is he? No, he's uh, a, touring he, with Tom. He was touring with Tom. Cool. Um, I, I, I he's definitely going to come visit us when he comes to Los Angeles. Um, his act was really, really funny. Hanging out with him uh, was great. I really enjoyed his uh, his company. I follow him now, Zach. If you just start G E O F F, Gyoff, Gyoff Tate. Yeah, there he is. He looks like a fucking redneck with his beard, uh, and he does have a <laughs> southern accent, but he is not a redneck. He is a he is a he's a lefty like me. And so we got along on, on many levels. His but his act was really funny. We hung out, uh, hung out a bunch. So uh, you know, we watched the first show, and then uh, went back to the green room, bullshitted a little bit in between the show, ate some fairly nice takeout food, and then we chilled and uh, drank more wine in the green room during the second show. Came through on the feed. Interesting to watch how he changed a few little bits up here and there. Oh wow, yeah. But really tight. Uh, really tight hour of comedy, and then we went out and fucking hit the bar. First night we went to a cigar bar, and then we went to like some local Seattle bars. After that, Tom's really famous. He has like you know he has a, a bodyguard that rolls with him on tour. Oh wow! I, I don't know. It didn't seem like it was his choice. It seems like the production company or whatever the promoters like make that happen. Because uh, we like snuck out and went for a walk at one point he's like he's like oh the dude would probably be fucking pissed if he knew i went for like a walk but he get he's more famous than i would want to be like he gets stopped wow. he gets stopped by a lot of people even with masks on he gets stopped by a lot of people i mean his like his youtube channel of like clips from the podcast that's more famous than the youtube channel like, yeah it's hundreds of thousands of views per video yeah no just it's, like clockwork and what's really funny is like a few years ago, like maybe 10 years ago, people would stop and be like, you're on TV or you're in a movie. And then like five years ago, people would stop and be like, you're on YouTube. Now people stop and go, you're on a podcast. Like that's like the evolution of that of like media. statement wow. in media, yeah. which is really funny. It's, it's funny because it's like, you know, podcasting and YouTube is open source. Like you could be on YouTube too. Upload a video. There's nothing, literally True. nothing stopping you. You know what I mean? So it's just, it was funny. But um, you know, it's I like I like Seattle. I think it's cool. Uh, living in Venice, I am uh, I'm, I'm used to that level of homelessness, which is a sad situation in Seattle right now. I hope they can figure that that out. It's a little it's a little rough in the downtown area, um, but uh, the bars are really fun. Hannah and I played a lot of pinball. We went to the pinball museum Saturday night. He did. He had two shows again, but we weren't going to go like watch the two shows. So we hung out during the day. We went to the museum of pop culture, cool. where there's a Nirvana exhibit and a Pearl Jam exhibit and a new exhibit called Contact High on hip history of hip hop, visual history of hip hop. Oh, rad! Awesome! Wow! I bought the book. Everyone bought the book. Tom was fucking obsessed, and the Contact High reference is. Contact sheets. Do you know what a contact sheet is? Like, like when, you, a, like when they used they used to shoot production? film. Yeah. Like they would have the you'd see the whole roll of film. 
they call, it's called a contact oh, sheet. Oh, okay. You know okay. what I'm saying? Like yeah, when yeah. you print the roll of film, you'd have to know you'd know which shots to print. So you what you would do what's called a contact sheet. Where right. You, they they cut up the roll of film and they lay it on a thing, and that way you can preview it. So they had like the most iconic images in the history of hip hop, but they had the whole contact sheet. Whoa. So like this shoot with like Biggie with the crown on, like the mm-hmm. very famous photograph, they had the whole contact sheet from that shoot. So you can see all the tapes. You see all 25 images oh, from cool. that shoot and like a bunch of other uh, a bunch of other really famous, uh, you know, hip hop history photographs and the contact sheets from that, which was really fucking cool. Really cool. And Tom is like a hip hop connoisseur. Yeah, huge. So he was head. like fucking freaking out. And like all seven of it was like me and Hannah, Tom and Jeff, the security guard, his manager, his tour director, and his photographer, all of whom were like ace humans. Like really, I had so much fun with them. And it's like, you know, with a, with a comic, you go to a theater, like all you need is a fucking mic and a stool. So it's not like there's much to it you know what i mean and like these guys were super pro with the logistics and they had like everything you know sorted out and all this stuff but just mellow nice you know professional people every one of us bought the coffee table books we all like they must they made like 300 dollars in coffee table books just on us yeah see the contact sheet that's what that is so you see all all the other images right which is cool because it's it may it brings them like so much more to life. It does. I mean, like right here they have you know Biggie and, and in five of the six shots that we can see on this thumbnail, he's just you know looking kind of stern, and then one of them he's just smiling, just being like, silly, big smile, which yeah. you don't. It's not a side of Biggie you saw much because that's just not how his uh, yeah brand and image was in the music videos. And it's like these some of the iconic shots were like you know Spin magazine covers or whatever, but and some were like. Um, album cover shots, and then you saw the whole the whole shit. I mean, it's really really cool. It went all the way back to the early '80s. Uh, it's an awesome exhibit at the Museum of uh, Pop Culture uh, in Seattle. And then there's also a Pearl Jam exhibit, which was great. Jimi Hendrix exhibit, a Nirvana exhibit, and then there's a Did whole. Did they get mad when you jacked off in there? The Pearl Jam okay. exhibit was ex- extensive, but I actually got more lost in the horror and sci-fi exhibits which were all like movie props from horror films and sci-fi stuff so there was like a bunch of shit from terminator and back to the future and all kinds of cool stuff ghostbusters um really really enjoyed that so there's a whole bunch of uh the thrill of horror film that one the guitar gallery they had a a bunch of uh, it's exactly what it sounds like a bunch of famous guitar players guitars including um woody guthrie's like this machine kills fascists guitar. Whoa. Uh, very cool, very, very cool stuff. Um, and then Hannah and I, Hannah really wanted to go, you know, Hannah loves pinball. And so Tom and the guys went back to the hotel. He hits the gym every day. That's like part of his, part of his quote, <laughs> to quote him, how I don't end up like Bert. Uh, <laughs> He's like, yeah, Bert. Yeah. Bert just fucking kills, crushes beers on tour every day. He's like, I go, I have a routine. So, so he went back and went to the gym, and we went to the pinball museum. Uh, that's it. Uh, museum pinball museum, Seattle. I think that's those are in. Uh, there you go. Uh, there it is. And they have all these pinball machines lined up in chronological order, and you play. You pay twenty bucks to get in. That's. Oh, they have a very cute pup that's there, and you pay twenty bucks to get in. 
and then all the machines are free. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh man. So we 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 went and played pinball for like a couple hours. Um, really interesting to go through the. Be cool to see how they changed over the evolution the years. Yeah. of pinball. Like how yeah, they got more challenging or yeah. less challenging. They're like thing. in the late '90s. They started to add in some elements of like. 3D holograms and like this sort of like now you you transition from playing pinball to like sort of a video game on the screen and that kind of sucked and then in the 2000s they went back to pure more pure pinball um so we did that for a bit and then we ended up finding a bar cuz we didn't we didn't we weren't going to go watch his show twice again so he went to the gig we went to dinner and then found another bar that had more pinball. Oh, jeez. And we played like a shitload of pinball at this bar. And now I think I need to, we, we're, we found two machines. I ain't, I'm not dumb enough to fucking say what they are. But um, I may have to buy a pinball machine for Hannah's next birthday. Like, cool. I think I th- the one that she really liked was, uh, as we learned, because we go outside for a minute because it gets, you know, it's when you're playing pinball and you're drinking and you got a mask on, you know, you got your stick in the straw, and you, you can't when you're you, when you're at a table. You could take your mask off, but you're wandering around. So when you're playing pinball, you're drink, you know, sipping under a mask or whatever. It gets a little hot in there. So I've had wanna, the video game sweats before. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You so, get tense. You want to win. Yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go outside and we start talking about what her favorite machine is, and we <laughs> meet this guy who's got a real Seattle beard, and he's got hipster glasses on, and he's wearing a Cannondale jacket. Okay. Um, and he overhears us talking about a couple qualities. He's like, oh, you guys talking about uh?" And he he names the machine we're talking about, and we're like, yeah. And this guy knows everything about pinball. He's in a pinball league, and he's talking about the subtle nuances between one machine and another, and that machine that Hannah likes is, oh, it's the last machine they made before this company went out of business, and... You can find them on the internet, but like, there's like, there's like the real ones, and then there's knockoffs. And the re- we looked, and the real one is like fifteen thousand dollars. Well, not this is no, that's not happening. That's a really expensive Xbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's other pinball machines that are. I think I I googled my favorite pinball machines from this from our excursion, and a couple of my favorite ones still expensive, but substantially more reasonable than that. Um, it depends, like how important they are to pinball culture, mm-hmm. and then to pop culture. Like the Terminator Two one, that's really expensive. Yeah, also, yeah. yeah. But there's another one that I thought was amazing because, in theory, a pinball machine should be an all ages type of device. This one had strippers on it. <laughs> Like all kinds of crazy shit, and I was like, "Oh, this is the one I want. <laughs> this one is good." Normally, it's like the friendliest video game in yeah. the place. Yeah, it's just like, "Hey, it's just a ball trying to have a day." Yeah, just trying to you know make some noise. Yeah, yeah you know funny. that one that yeah, my parents' house, the Star mm-hmm. Trek one. So when my parents, we when we moved into, uh, we I, I moved like four or five times growing up. One of the houses we moved into, the previous owners left a pool table and a pinball machine. Because they couldn't take it with them. And uh, the pool table was not a particularly nice pool table, but it's a fucking pool table. And we actually had it refurbed, and they still have it. It's a fucking pool table. I played on it. Works it, great. It is, a, it is a functional pool table. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pinball machine was from 1978. It's a Star Trek pinball machine. It's got Shatner on it. And apparently, if you Google Bally Star Trek pinball machine, apparently the machine itself, 
is not worth very much money, but the glass, the the, the main bit of glass is like irreplaceable and uh, worth a lot of money. Is that, there it is. Yep, that, that's it, back glass right there. Look wow. at that, look at Shatner as a, as a young ripped Captain Kirk. <laughs> the artist was kind. But they uh, at the at the Jupiter Bar in Seattle, the second place we went, they have one. It's no the only shit. one I've ever seen outside of my folks' house. Wow! So we got this is a very... we got this pinball machine for free. I grew up playing this thing, and it works. Yeah, there it is, by Bally. It's a pretty dope. This is I mean, the international pinball database, by the way. They oh, have a lot well, of let's detail. Make sure we have that in the fucking file. You never know. We're gonna need to come back to this one quick. Wow! But uh, so we played a lot of fucking pinball. That's fun. And then we met up with. Uh, with the boys after the show and uh, went to a bar. I, I taught them about Sip Smith Gin, and uh, we drank a lot of Sip Smith Gin. I'm on, I'm on the gin and tonic train now. Oh, gin is, gin gin is, is delicious. I find I get a little less hungover drinking gin. Than, than whiskey? Than vodka or, than vo- or oh. whiskey, yeah. I mean, it's gin is made from vodka's like base liquor, but then they add the botanicals mm-hmm. and things. But whiskey, I think, does have more sugar in it. And yeah. it's brown instead of clear. Yeah. Well, the vodkas and Diet Cokes would make me really hungover, but I think that was from all the caffeine. Yeah, so you're just dehydrating yeah. yourself yeah. a little bit yeah, extra. Yeah. Uh, um, didn't you guys go to the shop? We also, yeah, we then went to the shop for uh, for lunch, and we looked around at their, uh, the shop in Seattle is, um, it's a car storage place, kind of like mine, but it's much more of like a club. Um, like, they have a full restaurant and a full bar. There's a fucking barber shop in there, which is, wow. I don't, that might be a bridge too far. <laughs> but in, uh, you know, in that market in Seattle, it's it's a really cool place. If you were if you were in Seattle and a car enthusiast, I would have a, a social membership there for sure at, you know, at a minimum. And I'd probably end up keeping my cars somewhere like that as well. Um, and so we went down there to poke around and had some lunch and uh, happy to happy to see those guys when I'm in town. But uh, they were into it. The guys were all into changed, it. Like- in the last couple of years, I, he kept fucking looking at this Bronco in there, and I'm like, dude, don't do it. Those are shit boxes. You're gonna spend two hundred thousand dollars on a car that looks great at five miles an hour yep. and wants you dead. Like, and he goes, oh, I look cool though. I go, you live in Texas now. Speeds are higher there. You're not cruising down Hollywood Boulevard anymore. You're not driving down Abbot Kinney in Venice. You're on the freeway. You will die in one of those things. <laughs> um, but he got his uh, his Cayman back from Deman. I hooked him up with Rick Deman, and he got the four and a half liter engine and the shorty gear set. And he was like, exactly as expected, dude. This is next level driving, you know. So, so yeah, we were we were talking about cars, but um, he was very very kind to Hannah, and and had some interesting conversations with her as well. Uh, a lot of my guy friends like ignore my wife, like. They either just want to talk to car, talk about me with cars. Like Hannah's, Hannah's mentioned to me before, like even my guy friends that have become good friends with her in the beginning, like pretty much just like ignored her, hmm. which I think, you know, is something that can happen. If you're friends with somebody and their spouse, you don't know it. You don't know them that well. You might not, you might not consciously, you have to consciously devote energy in the conversation to learning about that other person true not everybody's like good at it and um he is he was very he was very like not and i'm not even talking about being charity like Her- hannah's really interesting and has a yeah. lot of really interesting things to say um and so he was even compared to some of my 
other guy, like better guy friends. He was incredibly, um, uh, 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 I mean, attentive is the wrong word because it makes it seem like you're babysitting or something. But like he was just engaged, just engaged. Yeah, he was really, really interested in in what she thought about stuff, and and um, it was really interesting. And like just getting a little taste of like what his life is like on tour. It's um, it seems exhausting. I mean, it really seems like, yeah, okay, you're only quote working, you know, two hours a day, but like, that's tough. You know, doing doing the doing two two sets a night, a the lot. adrenaline spikes and crashes uh, after that. You know, but he did two two shows in a row, three nights in a row. Was he really tired on you know the after really the tired? One? Go- no, he was really tired in between the two. And then had a lot of energy after the second one. Hmm. It was interesting. Wow, yeah. That's yeah. A, yeah. Riding cortisol and adrenaline all the time. Yeah. Huh, it was really, really weird. I mean, how, how that works. I've come back from shoots, like, um, when we would do Haggerty or drive shoots. Like, the, if, if the shoot went well and we all had fun, like, this, if we could carry that into the night, mm-hmm. I was amped. Yeah. Like, I'll come home and talk to Sarah and be super chatty. But if there's a little bit of a lull and you can calm down a little bit, or yeah. if it, you know if it's five days straight, then you're just dead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to guarantee it, but he will be in Texas while we are doing our project. And he did say that he would come to the track and review our cars, <laughs> which I think if he can make. I mean, he said his schedule is is not, It's on his calendar right now, so I hope it works out. I think it would be a really fun addition to the film that we're making yeah. down there. He doesn't need to, to stay have, all day. He just you know if he has time. No, and time. I said I said to bring the Cayman out. I said we got the track all day. Yeah, bring the fucking Cayman. 100%. Bring your helmet. Run some laps. Yep. See what it's about. Um, but uh, it was it was really fun, and you know we talked a lot about cars and about comedy and industry and you know the road and and uh man i hope if he ever needs a friend on the road again that i make that list hannah demanded to be ranked relative to his other friends that he brought on the road yeah yeah (laughs) and he found out that she makes lists about everybody and she she was showing him the lists of people and at the end of by the end of the weekend she had a dossier on him of course and so she let him review his own dossier it was very very funny yeah no (laughs) hannah's hilarious she's really funny and the lists are great and she's got a file going on tom now Mm -hmm. which is which was really really funny but he was such a good host he was such a fucking mellow you know cool guy and definitely follow um Jeff Tate on Instagram as well, G-E-O-F-F-T-A-T-E. Um, he had a fucking real tight 20 minutes. I would definitely try and catch him when he's touring uh, wherever in your, you know, he tours, he's a comic. Um, and uh, especially if you um, if you lean politically left, as I do, you will find his act very funny. Um because his 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 social commentary is incredibly astute, mm, cool. um, and uh, so yeah, that was uh, that was Seattle, and now it's back to work for what five straight weeks. We have a real yeah. aggressive month, <laughs> and month meaning thirty days, yeah, ish. We are, from now yeah. until Thanksgiving, it's f- yep. smashed, and then we don't have to do shit in December. We're chilling, in, or I don't have to do we're, shit. In we're December. just editing something. Just ed- yeah, but like yeah, that'll but yeah, be. But, and we really don't need press cars. No, we are out of fucking press cars. Of all the press cars, we have rung. We have rung the towel. We have three. <laughs> I have there's, right now. There's three press cars and a press motorcycle here. 
Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I'm driving a fan car tomorrow, V8 BRZ. Oh, yeah. So, or, uh, and there's yeah. a fan car next week, that homemade Lotus 211 oh, that yeah. we're doing on Monday alongside the Audi RS7. Right. So I've got, I just, they just dropped off the Mach E GT, which I'm really excited to drive. Uh, it's papaya or something, lava orange or something, but it's got a great looking stance. Um, it's got big fucking Brembo brakes and P zero tires. I haven't, I haven't moved it an inch yet. It's sitting in the driveway right now, but, and I'm excited. The new seats. Or the upgraded seats seem like they're a little more sculpted. Oh, cool! Um, you the can seats tell it sits are fine too. It does sit lower mm-hmm. and has painted fenders as well. This the the lines. Um, I just brain farted. Um, the the seats in our regular Mach E are fine, uh, but they're not like anything to write home about. They're, yeah, these seem a little more sculpted. So I I'm really interested in the suspension. That's what I care about. Um, in terms of this car, because our car um, is great at so many things, but the ride is a little bit unrefined, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. I mean, it's not, I, I, I literally wouldn't complain about it if my job wasn't to be a car critic. Um, but the, the GT and the mag ride, I think, is really going to be a, a, a huge difference, um, more so than the, the power. It's got a lot more power, too. But, like, I don't really give a shit. It's really about the ride to me. But it's expensive. This thing is, is that? $69,000. Whoa. Yeah. Ours is fifty three, So it's it's substantially more expensive. Now, this one has upgraded interior, upgraded brakes, upgraded suspension, a lot more power, um, dip bigger wheels and tires, painted body panels, and it's all-wheel drive, and mine is rear-wheel drive. So it's like... That's a bunch of shit. Like I, of I can see where the sixteen grand go, comes from, and even like keeping it under seventy, it's not like it's not offensively expensive. It's the it's the super fast one. You know what I mean? So I'm looking up Tesla. I'm just curious, like what the model you can y get a you can get a Model at. Y into the seventies if you get the dual motor performance with a bunch of options. You can get it into the seventies. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, Mach-E is, is comparably priced to Model Y. Yeah, spec Model spec. Y performance starts at 57. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, you add some options. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. I really like the Mach-E, man. I drove yours for like a day. It's great. It's such a good car. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the looks have grown on me even more. Like the profile of that, that's a great shape car. And yeah. the, the roof, the trick roof totally works. Mm-hmm. And it's just got a, like a lovely shape to it. So. It's sweet. We'll let you know how uh, how the, the GT drives. But I'm. I'm significantly more excited to drive that than I was the Aston Vantage. So, uh, because it's a new thing. Yes, yeah, because it's, 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 it's a new thing. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Not because Fords are more exotic than Aston Martins, just because it's a new thing. Yeah, well, the Vantage. It's a, they've done this before. They've made a Vantage mm. that increases in its performance through the life cycle of yeah. that model, and then at the end there's a you know peak, and then it goes to the new one. Whereas this is like Ford's first performance EV. Yeah. Yeah. And so far, the I haven't read a lot of the reviews, but I've read tweets, and they seem good. Um, that's it. Oh, we got questions from yes. our Patreon. Last thing before we get to the questions on our Patreon, uh, please stop sending me trucks. <laughs> I mentioned uh, on our last crew show that we're shopping for a, a truck for the shop here, and I've had more emails, not just from people who work at dealers offering to make me deals, from individuals who are just like buy my pickup truck, we'll find we'll find a truck on our own. Thank you. Um, there are uh, this this crazy car market 
that everyone has been talking about, uh, in which it's hard to get inventory and people want all this ADM. You know where that is not applied? Mid-level work-focused trucks. Every dealer's got a bunch of them. There's regular priced. They're making deals. Inventory is just fine. We will find a truck. And a bunch of people were they were they were me they meant well, mm-hmm. especially the ones who work at dealerships and offered to make me a deal. But almost everyone that offered to make me a deal, I would have had to fly thousands of miles to get the truck or have it shipped here or whatever that would would have easily offset. Uh, any discount that was being offered. Right. You're not mad at the people. This is not this mad. Is a, this I'm just is saying I don't need it. This is an addendum to the statement on the last Correct. podcast where you're looking for a truck. You're like, oh shit. And additionally, additionally, I will find it. I will. F- we'll, we can find it. Yeah. Yes. I don't. I don't actually need uh, the help. But thank you very much. Okay. Questions are all applied via our Patreon. You can go to Patreon. Dot com slash the smoking tire podcast. Uh, we have three different membership levels. The uh, the most affordable of which at just three dollars a month allows you access to the live stream and uh, the ability to ask questions. You can also spend eight dollars a month and you're a crew chief and you get a total advertising free experience. Um, and then uh, you can spend $10 a month and you get early access to all the episodes. You get them right after we record them instead of Tuesdays and Thursdays. And you get a bonus ninth uh, show plus everything at uh, that is available with the lower tiers. All right. Most people are doing the pro driver. We appreciate yeah. that. It's it's like 90% it's, pro yeah, driver, it's right? crazy. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so questions all come from our Patreon. Scott Hamill says, how has Tom Segura's opinion about supercars changed since he has now driven a lot more? Um, I don't I don't necessarily know if his opinion has changed. Um, he went to Dream Racing in Vegas a couple weeks ago when they were doing shows, mm-hmm. uh, and he drove the 488 uh, Ferrari and said it was really, really great. It wasn't as spaceshipy as the uh, the McLarens, but he said it felt put together a little better. But now that he's, he's he did say that he after driving his demand uh, GT four point five Cayman, he's like I don't I don't need to go faster than that. This thing's fucking bananas, and <laughs> yeah. so he's really he's really into that, um, and he's regretting not having more time to drive the cars. Of course, yeah. common problem. Common problem with people on people who are on tour yep. don't get to drive the cars. Uh, Sam H. Uh, would you have still done the BDR on your recent camping trip if you were paying the notes on new vehicles rather than borrowing or renting? Question being, uh, would you would would the ro- would the trails be safe enough that you wouldn't worry about damaging your own cars? I think yes. Yeah, as long as you're in a car with decent ground clearance. Yeah, uh, the trails were not that difficult. Correct. They were washboardy which affected me in my camper van more than it affected the, the Zach's pickup truck. Our friend Tim came with us in his 2006 Forerunner, um, and he had the best driving experience, I think, of any of us. Totally. His suspension is aftermarket, and he aired down a little bit, and I drove his truck for like 20 minutes. It was just floating over everything. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think those trails are—if you have a—, a a modern SUV uh, with some ground clearance and the right tires, I don't think those trails are dangerous at all. I agree. Especially, like, there's sections on the map where it's, like, very advanced, easier route. Um, 
and we took the easier route every time and there was not it was mostly just dirt roads really i'd say most of what we did was like fire road plus mm -hmm. with the occasional the power line road was just rocks that was just but shitty. it was it was low ground ground clearance was fine it was just shitty and then um the place where you there was like kind of a, a riverbed that was cut out a bit where we got a little bit of lean and i think one of your steps like contacted the dirt a little bit that's oh, the only yeah. place something lower than an outback might get stuck yeah but otherwise it was pretty if good. you had like a grand cherokee yeah or fine. a raptor or a wrangler or Even a, a basic defender wrangler yeah mm -hmm. you, you would you would get through it just fine yeah yeah you could luke taylor uh, I I thought you spot uh, spotted me wearing a watch with four sub dials. It is uh, a it is not a Eric Clapton Universal Geneve. It is an Icapod Hemipod Chronograph, and that is a very interesting watch because it was designed by Mark Newson, who was a famous industrial designer who would go on thirteen years later to design the Apple Watch, and so it is kind of the uh, Newson's with an N. Zach, and if you type in Icapod, I K E P O D, nuisance with the what? With an N. Oh, I thought you Those put an M. N. I thought you put an M there. Sorry. Uh, Newson, he designed furniture. He's designed shoes. He's designed all kinds of interesting shit. He just designs consumer products. Um, and uh, my watch is an Icapod Hemipod, designed by Mark Newson. It's not insanely expensive. It is. It is by uh, for. Historically significant watches, it is fairly reasonable. And I like it because it has the exact Apple Watch rubber strap, which came on this watch in 1998. And so they uh, they applied it to the Apple Watch later. But it's like 15 years before the Apple Watch. It's cool. Carlos Soldevilla. What is the best place to sell a historic race car? Online auctions, private brokers, or specialized sellers? Is it a very different marketplace than vintage cars? Um, I've bought mine directly from the owner and plan to sell it next year after a run of historic races. 2004 996 GT3 Cup factory car won its class at Daytona. I have no idea. I mean, I, I, the best place? Uh, I don't know. I mean, for very, very rare cars that you don't want to risk having faith you know if you put a car up for auction and it doesn't sell that's bad mm -hmm. right um but if you sell a car privately you never know what you would get at auction um you know a a, a gt3 cup car that won its class at daytona is not I mean, there's a story with that car, but it's not like it's some rare, it's not like it's from like a, a rare 60s Le Mans car or something like that. We're still talking about a 2004 Porsche Cup car. Mm -hmm. So it's really a recent, recently historic. Um, and obviously there is some value in it being a class winner at Daytona for sure. Um, but not, it's not like, was it was it dri you know who was it driven by was it driven by you know somebody that is a notable you know driver is it or you know did Hurley Haywood drive it who who, dro who drove it and that matters too or was it just some you know gentleman driver that that did that did really well um, you know I if it was a really rare car that the kind of thing that 
high-end collectors would be really looking for and can't find, I might call a Serio or one of those types of guys or um, uh, or or call maybe like Road Scholars, you know, that deals with vintage race cars and see if they have a client who wants that. I'm not sure. I don't know who collects 2000 and f- like 996 GT3 Cup cars. It seems to me that that type of car is is not um, – you wouldn't buy it and put it in a museum. You know, you'd buy it if you wanted to use it. You know what I mean? Even just with its race history. Right. It seems a little bit too modern to be museum quality. Right. Yet. You know, maybe in 20, 30 years. Too modern and not exotic enough. Yeah. You know? Um, and even a lot of the older 911 race cars, they're still out racing. Right. Like so, the I mean, cars and stuff. So, you might yeah. want to go on like racingjunk.com. You know, it's not junk, but that's where people sell a lot of race cars, even very expensive ones. Um, you might want to look to a, a platform that would feature it, you know, whether it's like bring a trailer premium or collecting cars or a P car market that would feature it and give it a little extra promotion. Um, I think with anything like this, the story is so important. Yeah. It's, it's who drove it, what were the circumstances they drove it. Uh, how how did it do? Obviously, and what's the documentation of all that? Was this the last generation of this kind of car? Was yeah. it a one year kind of car? Was it so good because of a special uh, engineering idea that was then banned the next year? Yeah. You know, the story is is what drives all like the, a lot of the vintage race cars. Yeah. That plus rarity, so you have to figure that out and how good the story is. That's what gets written up in the auction thing. Like, yeah. you know, if it's RM, it's like they're going to write a very nice thing about yeah. why this is important. I mean, there's a lot of cup cars out there. And yeah. what is the difference from one cup car to another? Nothing but the story and how well it's, you know, kept now. Yeah. Is it ready to race or does it need a major service or something? You know what I mean? So, um, if your story is great, I would be more inclined to put it out in the public. You know what I mean? If it's a winner, but the story's not that great. I might call a road scholars or uh, a company that preps track day Porsches, you know, for vintage racing or whatever, and see if they're if they have a client that's looking for mm-hmm. something like that. And road scholars, they know that market mm-hmm. and they know the cars and the racing, so they might know that story or be able to help with that story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jake Shores. Uh, just thanks for answering my question. Oh, basically. Yes, I'm excited to hear. Yes, Tom did take delivery. Okay, cool. Jack Martin says, "What do you think the new SEMA trends will be? More and more EVs and the odd custom GR86 BRZ." Well, considering we didn't have a SEMA last year, we're going to have to combine last year's and this year's trends. I see C8 Corvettes. I think there's going to be a lot of C8 Corvettes, mm-hmm. 86 and BRZs, Supras. Yeah, a lot of Supras. 992 Porsches, right? Um, Urises. <laughs> lots, lots of Urises and, and, oh, yeah. and yeah, like SUV cross fast crossovers. I think we're going to continue to see overlanding, mm-hmm. more off-road stuff, and mm-hmm. more uh, in the safari trend. We're going to see, yep. we're probably going to see a continued safari trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, BRZs, it's like, I, we'll see if they can get people dollar cars um, in time for this year, you know, like I think they probably have. They had, I know they had a measuring session, so oh, okay, that that's usually 
they, for the when they, market, right? Yeah, what they'll do is they'll invite all the tuners to come down and let them literally take measurements of all the cars so that they can prep their parts for their SEMA builds. Cool. Oh, yeah. laser scan everything. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's rad. Yeah. I mean, and, and probably new Civic is out, so it might be a little late, but there'll be new Civic stuff. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then your standard, like list. Your, you know, your Mustangs, you know. But I think C8 Corvette will probably be very dominant. Um, One speed tail somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Micah Moore, if you were choosing a semi-reliable, dedicated track car platform under $40,000, what would you choose? A Mustang. Uh, I would go SS1LE. Uh, Z, the, what's it called? Camaro Z20. Camaro Z20. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those are those are down under the forty. Yeah, now. you could get a twenty fifteen Z twenty eight for sure. You might be able to get a one LE in that in that range as well, um, or or a Mustang. You know, a, a, a stock powertrain Mustang with great suspension and brakes. Totally. Yeah, that's uh, that's it. Or I mean, you know, if you're talking about dedicated track car, I mean, forty thousand dollars gets you a radical. I mean, if that's what you're if that's yeah, what you're talking yeah, that's about, true. you know what I mean. Your track car, if you if it's really dedicated, does not need to be street legal. Very good point. It does not need to have fenders. You know what I mean? You could buy an open, there's a million open wheel cars you could buy for that kind of money too. So, so you know, consider prototype style cars like Radicals and stuff uh, f- for that type of money. If That'd it's truly badass. a dedicated thing, you know what I mean? Uh, fucking 40K, you, could get a, you can get one of those NASCAR trucks. Easy. True. I've heard those don't stop great on road courses. Probably not. Parker Kligerman. Uh, I would go, you could get a fuck ton of track-built Corvette. Something that's already uh, modified, too, with like sure. a cage already in it. Yeah. Do that. Buy somebody else's track toy. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, IS500 Lexus versus BMW M340i. Daily driver. Quick pros and cons. I mean, I haven't driven the M340i uh, this generation. I drove the last generation one. It was nice, um, but uh, I, to me, I, I think that V8 is a fabulous engine. Um, I think that it offers an experience that is not really available um, elsewhere, um, it, just because of how great it sounds uh, and how how nice the response is of it when you have it in sport mode and you're you know using the paddles and stuff. It feels. Um, almost like a motorsport grade product mm-hmm. whereas the non M BMWs don't feel remotely it's just a sports sedan yeah, yeah. they're fast yeah. like that 340i engine is it's fast um and, and i think the interior on the BMW is going to be nicer and seem a little bit more seem modern for a longer period of time cuz the Lexus one getting into it already feels old mm-hmm. because it is but that engine, like you said, they're not going to be doing that for very long. So yeah. I would, and the BMW formula is going to continue to exist. Yeah. So I would do the IS500 for now, and then in three years you can get in whatever BMW has made. Yeah, I had, I had more fun driving the IS500 than the last non-M3 series I drove. Like I, w- if I wasn't going to get an M3, I wouldn't get the 40. I'd get, you know what I mean? I just would like get a whatever, like a 328 or whatever, 330, whatever mm-hmm. the small one is. Because they're like. also quick. It's still quick enough. Like, I just, I wouldn't, if I wasn't going to go all the way, I wouldn't go at the middle. You know, I don't mm-hmm. like middle. Yeah. I no like half to, measures. Yeah. Uh, Riley Koppel, 
I got an 05 Corolla XRS with hydraulic power steering. It's great. I recently drove a 2020 Camry with electric power steering, and it's very numb. Uh, and tell me this isn't the future I have to look forward to. Well, a Camry is not a is not the best example. I mean, right. if you want a <laughs> if you want a car with great electric power steering, try a Porsche. You know, um, and and it, you can't generalize about all hydraulic power steering. You can't generalize about all electric power steering. You're you. It's not like you got in the same car. If you got in a 05 Camry and then a new Camry, you might find that those. You know, that's a little more apples to apples comparison. Um, and also the XRS is the sporty one. You know what I mean? It's got a sport tuned suspension and whatever. Did you get in the TRD Camry? You know what I mean? Did you right. get in the sporty one of those? Like, uh, I think. Or try a GR86 even. I mean, yeah, because that's that's cheaper than going, oh, getting a 992 Porsche and like which has the best steering, the right. best electric steering on the planet. Even just the GR86 is way, way better than most of the other systems out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think this person made a generalization using two cars that aren't the same car. I think the future is not as bleak as you think. So if yeah, you, there's you cars that have right good, good electric totally. steering. I've driven a, a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's cars that have very numb electric steering. My Mach-E, which was an electric car, has very numb steering. The Golf R. Was really disappointing. Really? Yeah. The Mark Eight one, the yeah. new one. Oh, really? Yeah. I've... I mean, so there you go. So there's, so there's, there are uh, plenty of cars with great electric steering. There's plenty of cars with not so great electric steering. Just like with hydraulic, you know. Uh, Tyler says, "Are we getting the new M240i in?" No, we are not. We do not have it scheduled. We have no plan for this. Uh, I'm at in the. Cars episode, uh, you talked about how your mechanic wishes he had someone young to teach. Uh, it truly sounded like a dream job. What should I do if I'm this guy but live on the East Coast? You should find someone who works on these cars on the East Coast that is looking for someone young to teach. I mean, where, wherever you live, as long as it's not like truly bumfuck nowhere, uh, there will be a specialty shop. Or a, a series of specialty shops. Yeah, a restoration shop. Mm -hmm. That work on specialty vehicles. I am betting that that story I told is not unique to my person. Um, now, Grant, you know, I don't know what people's budgets are. I don't know, you know, but anything. But, like, I wouldn't start by moving across the country to be a mechanic. That's not what I would start with. I would start by looking in your area to get your foot in the door. And then expanding your circle as needed. Mm -hmm. um, but if if you want to make things with your hands, or if you want to run a CNC machine, or if you want to you know really restore things with great care, um, chances are there is a place near you that is looking for uh, youth. <laughs> chances are, because it's. There, we have a whole generation of people that have really been taught that that's not a good way to make a living, you know, unfortunately. I, th I think. And it seems like maybe it's going to start swinging back the other way. Yeah, because we still need stuff. Yeah. And one thing we've, we've all learned just through conversation is that a lot of people that work with their hands make g very good money in, in 
a lot of times more money than college graduates with a whatever degree. Yeah. And uh, and you can learn a trade, and then you can continue to learn in that trade, and you can become a specialist. And you know that's how you can become the best restorer of something, or one yeah. of the most well-known engine builders, or most well-known whatever. But like you can just keep developing that skill. Yeah, you have to put your time in, of course. But uh, but if you go back, you could listen to the show we just did with Andrew Davidge from Vintage Electric. Right. You know he's talking about if you can build things. You don't. It's not even talking about jobs at independent Porsche shops. He's saying if you can run a CNC machine, Google wants you, mm-hmm. Apple wants you, you know. Um, and what's cool is, well, what I think is really cool is that if you work on stuff, you know, like if you're BBI or if you are uh, Cam Ingram or those folks, the thing you work on with your hands, you get to roll, watch roll out the door and see, like. That you get to visually see a confirmation that your work has done. Yeah. Whereas if you work in like a banking company or insurance company or just an office job, I feel like um, your work is much more like ethereal mm-hmm. and kind of uh, it's just out there. You're like, yeah, I work for this big company, and we're we're you're seeing these numbers go up and blah 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 blah. But mm-hmm. it's not as tangible as mm-hmm. I fix that engine and it works. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not a good wrench, so I and it's not my dream, but I understand if if. If you could see yourself doing that, there's there's people who want to hire you. But I would look in your own city. Uh, Jay Dublish, have you visited the Wonderground at Porsche Santa Clarita? No, I don't go to dealerships that I don't need to go to. I heard they have a showroom that's underground. Oh, okay. It's like a clear floor and you can look down. Yay. Uh, Josh says, buying watches for kids. I'll wear them personally and then give them to my kids when they're adults 10 to 20 years from now. Any reason to buy anything new? Uh, obviously, plenty of time to wait for good used examples. Is there anything I'm missing other than waiting out current market? Maybe. Um, just like a car. Some people like to be the first owner of something. You know, uh, a, a pre-owned watch is typically going to show, if we're talking about something pre-owned and recent, um, it's going to show less signs of wear than a pre-owned car, you know, usually. Um, but a, a brand new watch will come with a warranty, a factory warranty. Maybe that matters to you. Uh, a brand new watch, you know, will be presented to you in this beautiful box. And, you know, it's part of an experience to buy a brand new watch. I mean, if you if you care about that, the the actual act of buying it can be a little more satisfying with a brand new watch. You could develop a relationship with a dealer that you may want to carry forward in your life versus buying something used. You, you probably will not have a relationship with that particular authorized uh, dealer. Um, Otherwise, no. I mean, otherwise, I, I've I've bought watches brand new, and I've bought watches uh, lightly used, mo- you know, modern used watches. And once it's out on your wrist, it really doesn't matter. Um, but if you if you have plenty of time to wait, uh, you know, and you're and you can build a relationship with an authorized dealer, and you and you don't need the watch until your kid turns twenty one, um, you know. You can try to buy multiple watches from one dealer, and that might help you develop a relationship that'll get you access to the new stuff, and that's kind of how the, the game is played. But once the watch is out and on your wrist, nobody gives a shit if it was new or used. But, you know, uh, I don't really like to buy vintage watches because I like to 
uh, the modern stuff is a little more tough, and I'm and I'm a clumsy idiot with my watches. I smash them into things. The vintage watches don't really survive that as well. Um, but once you're out there wearing it, it doesn't matter if it was new or, or used. And if you're passing it on to your kid, they won't care if you got it new or used. Um, it's really about what type of experience you want to have with the watch, um, um, you know, while it's yours. Uh, Daniel Berman, what is a fun or unique personal luxury coupe from the 80s or 90s that could still stand up to daily driver duty in L.A. with some degree of reliability? Uh, Mercedes 560 SEC. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking R32 GTR, but... That's not a personal luxury coupe. Personal luxury coupe is a is a a, a two door luxury car that doesn't really have much of a performance uh, behind it. Think like G body, you know, back when American right. when you could buy a two door version of all these cars, you know, giant sedans for no yeah. Mm. Um, that's why I like the five sixty Mercedes. It's a real two plus. It's not even a two plus two. It's a four seat two door car, proper four seater. I mean, R32 GTRs are certainly car a car that would hold up to to daily driver. No, no but, but I know what you're saying. Yes. Uh, from the 80s and 90s, the 560 SEC is the shit. I mean, in, Ooh, L- yeah. in L.A., even a, yeah. even a Mercedes a 300 CD, you know, the, the, the diesel one, the diesel coupe, those rule. Uh, a, a BMW, a very, very well-maintained BMW 8 Series, an 840, if you wanted to save money. The 840 is going to be a lot cheaper to keep running than the 850. Yes. Uh, Mercedes R129 SLs, like I had. I daily to a 2000 Mercedes SL. I see a lot of those around. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. They're fucking durable. They, and, and the powertrains are incredibly stout. That's not what goes wrong on those cars. It's finding interior trim bits can be very expensive. Fixing the convertible top if it breaks can yeah. be very expensive. The engine and the gearbox are never going to die. I think I just realized why all the ones I've seen are rocking the hardtop. Probably because the convertible broke. Yeah, or or people are just afraid to use it. And they look <laughs> they look great with the hardtop. They do, yeah, yeah. Very good looking car. I mean, when I had mine, I kept the hardtop on it as much as I could. And then I took the hardtop off out of guilt that, that I, if I didn't use the top more, that it would like seize up or the hydraulics would leak. So I took it off for a while, used the whole top butt, and then put it back on. You know, um, getting that hard top on and off is a bitch. It's heavy. <laughs> yeah. It's heavy. Um, but yeah, R129s, 560 SEC Mercedes, BMW 8 Series, um, Lexus SC 400s. You know, four, 400s are. Yeah. are you know, because they don't have a 2JZ, they're they're a little more uh, relaxed. You know, people aren't buying them to do, like, drift missiles and shit with Very them. Very true. Yeah. yeah. Um, you could daily drive any one of those cars. Yeah, they'd be, they'd be fine. Uh, Dan McInnes, do you ever go ham waiting on a car delivery and order a ton of parts and additions ahead of time? I'm fighting the urge right now for new interior bits on an incoming car and wheels for track tires. Um I, I haven't. I, I've made fun of people before for buying a bunch of aftermarket shit before the car came in. I try to avoid that. I bought parts for my Subaru like the week after I took delivery of it, but mm-hmm. I didn't order them beforehand. Yeah, I was like, what if I don't get it? That's it. Seems like a it seems like a recipe for possible disaster, especially right now with like delays and supply chain stuff. Yeah. I mean, you might end up sitting on parts for, for four months or yeah. something. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah, wait till you get it and then you see what the. 
what the car is really like to own and drive. You might actually not want all the parts you thought you did. That's true as well. You, I, I think it's important to experience the car first and then decide what you actually want to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Nailhead, did your experience with the Million Mile Lexus change what or how you guys maintain your vehicles, particularly ones you intend to keep for a long time? I would say that it emphasized using factory spec shit and not the cheaper versions of stuff. Well, what went wrong? Like, what's an example of a part that broke because it was aftermarket? Well, it wasn't my fault, but this, the, um, the power steering pump in the LS 400 Mm -hmm. did not use power steering fluid. Right. It used automatic ATF. Yeah. And the and power steering fluid would rot the gasket, which would then leak onto the alternator, which then killed the fucking car. And that had to be fixed a couple times because people that I lent the car out to tried to top it off with power steering fluid instead of going factory spec. And so uh, I replaced, you know... Uh, spark plug wires with like cheaper ones instead of like the Lexus spec ones, which were more expensive shit like that. And using the cheaper parts, if you really want to put miles on the car, it's going to end up costing you more down the road. You have to do it a fucking again. Right. So, I mean, I don't know if it, if it was purely that experience of that vehicle that, that, that did that, but like, I mean, I would say that between that and my experience with Donnie uh, and and maintaining the exotic cars is like you gotta go factory spec and like like with my Ferrari, there's and my Lamborghini, factory spec sometimes doesn't even mean factory spec. Like the air the the oil filter on my car is supposed to be I want to say black, but yes. there's a bunch of information out there that suggests factory spec, even the same brand of oil filter, is blue. But it's not. It's That's the that's just one little fit that they're using now. But the inside guts of the filter are not the same. You have to use the black one, which is much, much harder to find. And Donnie ordered five, had to order five different times oil filters that because they he kept thinking he was ordering the black ones because they would say factory spec and then they would show up and they'd be fucking blue. And so that's not right. And so um, that if you really want to put miles on a car, you got to go with the factory spec stuff. In my in my Mustang project, I I had more aftermarket parts. I never had Ford parts fail. If I bought a Ford brand part, it was good. Aftermarket shit, even brand name aftermarket shit, sometimes failed brand new right out of the box. Hmm, wow. I got a coil from a from a well-known company that makes coils, and the car was, like, missing, and the fucking dude took off this coil and put in a Ford coil, and it ran perfect. Wow. Remember that guy down on Huntington Beach, that dyno tuner guy who was oh, like yeah. in a shed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy, his strategy was you can build these huge power Mustangs just using parts from other Fords. And that's what you do. You don't buy aftermarket shit out of Jags or whatever. It's all just you got to find the right parts from other Fords. So it, the factory parts are typically built to a much higher um, standard than mm-hmm. aftermarket shit. 
Same thing with Porsche, especially Porsche. Um, and also the factory recommended fluids. Like whatever the fucking factory says, like they know what they were doing. Just use that. So that was what we learned. Yeah. Uh, I can't read what oh. that says. Uh, Zach says, I wear a fossil Sheldon watch. Simple monochrome day date. What would be a good sub 5K minimalist day date be for an upgrade? Minimalist. See, I don't, I don't know a lot about minimalist. There's people that really like minimalist. I don't. Um, day date? Mm. The only real affordable day dates I know. Uh, oh, there you go. Breitling Premier with a day date. I like that. That one on the left there. It's not. It's not. It's not full minimalist, but I liked that Breitling Premier. What do, What defines as min minimalist? A dial without a whole lot of shit on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, keeping it keeping it pretty simple. Like this, this Breitling, for instance, has has sticks for numbers instead of being full of numbers. It doesn't have a chronograph. Um, the hands are kind of thin. It's not that they don't try to fill the dial right. with as much stuff. That's why my, I like the Weiss watch, honestly. Weiss is great, it's real simple. Yeah, but they don't have a. That's a. That's even. That's even simpler. That's no. No. No day. No date. True. Um, yeah, field watches. Um, these sort of military field watches are typically uh, very minimalist, and also the Germans. Uh, Nomos is uh, a company that makes uh, a uh, Solios. Yeah, there's a couple. Here's an article on man of many. The thing is, minimalism doesn't typically intersect with a day date. You might get a date. Usually right. you don't even get a date. Minimalism is typically just that. See, these dials are right. very, very clean with not much on them. Right. Um, but that bright, if it's 5K, Breitling Premier uh, automatic day date for $4,150. It's not like super, super minimal, but it's pretty minimal. And uh, I, I like that. That's a good find, actually. That's a nice one. Yeah. Um, or if you, if you can give up the day, Nomos really makes a nice, affordable, um, uh, affordable minimalist watch. Um, and they make a really high quality product. I'm not sure of any specific day dates uh, that they make, but their stuff is all like. 2500 to five grand um they have this new this new one this autobahn series that just came out uh i don't know about a day any day dates but these are very clean sort of bauhausy kind of uh designs which i really like um i've held them in my hands i've never i've never owned one but uh there's the, the minimatic there the nomos club uh i really like a lot i think the club is a is a real quality piece um, yeah, so some of them have dates, uh, some have uh, different different complications, but yeah. Sorry, I don't know a specific answer there, but that should help. Is this the last one? Yes. Good, because we got a call in five minutes. Uh, Tyler M. ran Pilot Sport 4S's on my Golf R this summer, and while good on the road, it did not hope as well hold up as well as I would have liked on two track days. Uh, what are your preferred recommendations for a track day tire that isn't a slick? I mean... That's it. I mean, I, I don't, I haven't tested that many different tires, and I certainly haven't taken one car and run a bunch of different tires um, on it. I mean, you've got R888s, which are very sticky but very loud, uh, and they hold up okay. 
uh, in my in when I was doing endurance racing, we would run the um, Bridgestone, the Potenza something mm-hmm. something somethings. Yeah. I forget what it was. And that car that was a Miata. It was so it was very light. Um, you know, a Golf R is a heavier car. It's not that heavy, but all wheel drive. It's like uh, what it was it was the pole was it pole position? No, what was it? What was the the I don't R E R E eighty R E something something. I can appreciate why this person wants to ask this question, but the truth is I don't have Potenza R E nine eighty A S. Is that it? Oh no. Potenza Sport. It's just Potenza Sport. That's the one on the right there. Uh, that's not what we were racing with. We were racing with something that's the older tire. Pole position. That's it. It was. It was the pole position. Yeah. Um, so we were racing on those. And, you know, we were doing endurance racing. So durability was a, was a virtue and it was a very light rate car. Those tires were fine. Um, but I don't, I, I've never gone out with 10 different tires on the same car. So I, you know, I've never, I haven't heard a lot of people make the complaint that this person made that the PS4S doesn't hold up. Yeah, neither have I. Honestly. That's the first, I mean, if he was saying cups, like, yeah, cups are a warm up lap, a flyer, your best lap you've ever run, and then it will slowly fall off from there. Um, I found the PS4S to be pretty consistent when I drive it. You got to think about like I mean we don't know how long their track sessions were if they did multiple sessions and because he said two days right yeah so if you did four to six sessions per day you're talking about ten to twelve track sessions like that will toast anything yeah I mean and if you want grip you you know it's the inverse of of durability right so I, I don't have a good answer I'm sorry I mean I've heard. Uh, Dunlop Dereza is a good good value for a track day tire. Um, those I think those pole positions are good. The Toyo R Triple Eight is is sticky and I think fairly durable. It's just really loud. That's why mm. people don't like them on the road. They make a ton I'm of getting noise. some Redistine Vortes soon, but mm-hmm. I have not driven on them, so I don't know how loud they are. Yeah. I just know that they are slightly cheaper than the PS4s. Yeah. Uh, and I've never really done any extensive tracking with like a Pirelli Corsa on a regular car. Pirellis tend to come on the more expensive exotic cars. Mm-hmm. And in the cases I've tried them, I've never I've never gotten to compare to another tire. That's it's one of the things that as a unless you're like literally working for like grassroots motorsports or, or tire rack, you just you don't get to try the same car on a bunch of different tires. That's actually something that like your average track day enthusiast would probably have more experiences with than someone like us. Very true. Because we're always, I've, I've driven 50 different cars at Willow Springs, but I've not driven one car on 20 different tires. I, I literally couldn't even tell you. Yeah, I you would know? look for a track test by either Grassroots Motorsport or maybe Car and Driver. They do a lot of that intr- instrumented stuff. Yeah. Maybe Moto IQ yeah. has a test like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's our show. Thank you for sticking around. Uh, that one was, uh, was a good one. We got covered a lot of ground there. Uh, thank you to Tom Segura again for having me uh, up in Seattle. That was a, a really kick-ass weekend, and I need to do a lot more exercising now. I feel very guilty about how I've treated my body, eating unhealthy but delicious food at Pike Place Market and uh, drinking lots of Sip Smith and Tonic. I need to hit the gym uh, immediately. And uh, we are back on tomorrow. When's Forsberg? 
Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, it's Wednesday. Well, Forsberg. Chris Forsberg's here on Wednesday. And then uh, my father, Roger Farah, will be here on Thursday uh, answering your business questions once more. Uh, so that's all for us today. So we'll see you guys later.